Good morning. It's so uh, so good to see all of you, and um, it's good to be back. The Lord gave me a safe trip, and uh, got to spend lots of time with family and friends, and and uh, was able to help two of my brother-in-laws work on their houses, um, which was a blessing. So, uh, but it's good to be home. So, um, welcome to each of you. I'll open up with. Uh, Psalms 100, it says, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. I just love how the Lord shepherds us. Amen. And uh, he's so good. Let's all stand up for an opening word of prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning with thankful hearts, Lord. God, what a good day it is to be able to come into the house of the Lord and to worship you and to be reminded again of who you are and how worthy you are to be praised, Lord Jesus. God, we're gathered here this morning to, to praise you, Lord, and God, we just thank you. Thank you for each one that's here. Lord, thank you that um, your presence is here among us. Thank you that we can be gathered in this way and hear um, your truth, Lord. God, I pray for each one of us that you would open the eyes of our heart, Lord, to see you in a new way, Lord, and to see um, your love and how much you care about each one of us, Lord. Thank you for the healing that you bring, Lord, and just the the Father that you are to us, Lord. We worship you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Open the eyes of my heart. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. To see you high and lifted up Shining in the light of your glory Pour out your power and love As we sing holy, holy, holy Open the eyes of my heart, Lord Open the eyes of my heart, I want to see you, I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord, open the eyes of my heart, I want to see you. I want to see you, to see you high and lift. 
lifted up Shining in the light of your glory Pour out your power and love As we sing holy, holy, holy To see you high and lifted up Shining in the light of your glory Pour out your power and love As we sing holy, holy, holy Holy, holy, holy You are holy, holy, holy Holy, holy, holy I want to see you Amen, Lord, I pray that that would be each of our hearts cry this morning, that as we go throughout our days, not just on a Sunday morning, but Lord, as we live um, our lives, God, that we would see you in everything, Lord Jesus, and see your goodness, Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul. Worship His holy name. Sing like never before, O my soul. I worship Your holy name. The sun comes up; it's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again Whatever may pass And whatever lies before me Let me be singing when the evening comes Bless the Lord, O my soul O my soul Worship His holy name Sing like never before Oh my soul I worship Your holy name You're rich in love And you're slow to anger your name is great and your heart is kind for all your goodness i will keep on singing ten thousand reasons for my heart to find bless the lord oh my soul oh my soul Worship His holy name Sing like never before Oh my soul I worship Your holy name And on that day When my strength is failing The end draws near and my time has come 
Still my soul will sing your praise unending Ten thousand years and then forevermore Bless the Lord, O my soul O my soul Worship His holy name Sing like never before O my soul I'll worship your holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul. Worship his holy name. Sing like never before, O oh my soul. I worship your holy name. Amen. In reading through the Psalms, one thing I've noticed a lot is how David, it's like he commands himself, bless the Lord, O my soul. Like, come on, soul, perk up, bless the Lord. And, uh, in life, walking through hardships and trials, sometimes that's what we have to do. Um, a few nights ago, I was struggling to fall asleep, and I finally said, come on, Jason, lay down and fall asleep. And I just, I actually, I fell asleep. It's amazing just how, um, yeah, when we step out in faith and we ask the Lord and we confess with our mouth, he steps in and does the rest. Amen. Um, the theme of the songs this morning um, is just that we would behold God and see what he's done, that he would be our vision. Um, that's my heart's desire in my own life and for each one of you this morning, that we would um, just see God and see him for who he really is, um, a good father, and he's sovereign, and he, we can trust him with our lives. Sing, Be Thou My Vision. Be Thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that Thou art. Thou my best thought, by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence my life. Be thou my wisdom and thou my true word. I ever with thee and thou with me, Lord. Thou my great Father, I thy true Son. Thou in me dwelling and I with thee one. 
as I need not, nor man's empty praise. Thou my inheritance, now and always. Thou and Thou only, first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure Thou art. High King of heaven, my victory won. May I reach heaven's joys, O bright heaven's sun. Heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O ruler of all. Heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision. O ruler of all Turn your eyes upon Jesus Look full in His wonderful faith, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Turn your eyes to the hillside Where justice and mercy embraced There the Son of God gave His life for us And our measureless debt was erased Jesus, to you we lift our eyes. Jesus, our glory and our prize. We adore you, behold you, our Savior ever true. Oh, Jesus, we turn our eyes to you. Turn your eyes to the morning And see Christ the Lion awake What a glorious dawn, fear of death is gone For we carry His life in our veins 
Jesus, to you we lift our eyes. Jesus, our glory and our prize. We adore you, behold you, our Savior ever true. Oh, Jesus, we turn our eyes to you. Turn your eyes to the heavens. Our King will return for His own. Every knee will bow, every tongue will shout. All glory to Jesus alone. Jesus, to you we lift our eyes. Jesus, our glory and our prize. We adore you, behold you, our Savior ever true. Oh, Jesus, we turn our eyes to you. Jesus, to you we lift our eyes. Jesus, our glory and our prize. We adore you, behold you, our Savior ever true. Oh, Jesus, we turn our eyes to you. Oh, Jesus, we turn our eyes to you. Isaiah chapter 40 talks about um, this next song. Who has held the oceans in his hand? Who has numbered every grain of sand? Kings and kingdoms tremble at his voice. All creation rises to rejoice. Behold our God. Amen. Um, You know, wars and rumors of wars and what's going on right now in the Ukraine and all that. Um, God is above it all. And uh, he's sovereign over it all. And, and um, our job, I think, as believers is to, um, to pray and to help those in need to show the compassion of Christ. And uh, let's sing together, Behold Our God. held the oceans in his hand who has numbered every grain of sand kings and nations tremble at his voice all creation rises to rejoice behold our God seated on his throne Come, let us adore him. Behold our King, nothing can compare. 
Come let us adore Him Who has given counsel to the Lord who can question any of his words? Who can teach the one who knows all things? Who can fathom all his wondrous deeds? Behold our God seated on his throne. Come let us adore him. Behold our King, nothing can compare, come let us adore Him. Who has felt the nails upon His hands? Bearing all the guilt of sinful man God eternal, humble to the grave Jesus, Savior, risen now to reign Behold our God, seated on His throne Come, let us adore Him Behold our King, nothing can compare, come let us adore Him. You will reign forever, you will reign forever, you will reign throne come let us adore him behold our king nothing can compare come let us adore him amen i'll close with that and i'll turn the time over Well, good morning. I was blessed with that time of worship. It's good to have Jason back again. I think it's appropriate to show Jason and Preston our appreciation this morning for allowing God to use them. That was a blessing. I, I love that theme. Just about God, his sovereignty, um, him being in control. 
And this last song reminded me, and I don't, I don't know if it was based on that at all, but it, it had a lot of questions about God. Who does this? Who does that? Um, what does that remind you of in the Bible? Job. You know, after Job went through everything he went through, and he's questioning God, and, and he, was, he was pretty sore about things. He didn't really have the best attitude. I mean, he was coming to God, and he was like, okay, God, you know, what do you think you're doing here? And the way I read it, I don't think God was angry at him. In fact, God was angry at his friends. But he had a way of kind of putting Job in his place, if, as it were. And the way he did that was by asking questions. I mean, from what we see in Job, God didn't say, all right, this is why I allowed this to happen. You know, Satan came to me and said, hey, have you seen Job and see how he's prospering and it's just because you're blessing him and all that? We don't see that Job ever saw that. But what did, what did God tell him when, when he was questioning him? In, in Job chapters 38 through 41, he goes, God starts talking after all. Everybody else is done talking. The friends are done talking. Job is done talking. And God says... How about if I start talking now? And he starts asking questions. And we think we're the ones that are supposed to ask questions of God. God goes on for four chapters there. He asks Job 77 questions. And didn't give him one answer. Except for the fact that the the questions were the answer. The questions were the answer. And Job then says, I know you can do anything. Job chapter 42. No one can stop you. You ask, who is, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. I was talking about things I knew nothing about. Things too wonderful for me. You said, Listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with mine own eyes. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. It's kind of a paraphrase out of the New Living Translation. That God shows us his glory, and it's not... to just show us how unworthy we are, put us in our place as it were, but to show us his glory. It's good for us not to have all those answers. It's good for us not to be able to answer those 77 questions that God asked Job. If we could, we'd be God. We wouldn't need him. It points us to Christ. And I feel that's what was, that last song was alluding to that very principle and, and really all the songs. And it, it, it blessed me to uh, see how God is sovereign.
overall. We don't, we don't need all the answers. In this life, we're not going to get all the answers. Once again, welcome this morning. It's good to have you all here. If you're watching online, I'm glad you're able to join us in that way. Um, I'm not sure that we really have any announcements uh, this week. I didn't look at the bulletin closely. Was there anything in particular in there, Phil? And uh, so I think it's pretty much a uh, normal week. As normal, we have a meal following the service, so please stay and... uh... When's game night, John? Is it this coming Friday night? It would be this Friday night at 6.30 here, hosted by the Schroeders again. All right. I think uh, a lot of us, I know, including our family, weren't able to make it last time, so hopefully we can be here. I think it's going to be some pretty nice weather this week, so it shouldn't be so cold to get out. So game night. Uh, invite your friends, relatives, neighbors, enemies. I don't care. Just invite them all, um, and we'll come have a have a good time together. Um, I don't usually mention this, but it's, it, I guess it bears mentioning every now and then. Um, most churches you go to, you'll see them uh, pass an offering basket and beg for your money and those kind of things. We don't believe God has led us to do that here. But, however, uh, it is good to give, and it's something that we're called to do. We don't live in the Old Testament where we're supposed to tithe. Tithing is not a a New Testament principle. All we have is supposed to be God's. And the criteria he says for giving is, as the Lord has blessed you, give cheerfully. Give cheerfully. And if you want to do that, we do have a box, offering box mounted to the back wall that you're, you're free to give. We, it, uh, Still does uh, take money, unfortunately, to run logistics and things like that. But uh, we do that out of cheerfulness, out of what I've got, what God has done for us. So something to keep in mind. I think that's all I have. We're going to have a children's lesson this morning, coming from a place that I'm not sure it's ever come from before. But I'm looking forward to it. John and Maggie are going to have a children's lesson for us this morning. Uh, my kids, both the big ones and the little ones, are up here this morning, so the rest of you come up here and join them, and uh, uh, give it over to you, John. Good morning, guys. Hey, where are you going? No, up here. Come up here so everyone can see you. JJ, come on. Hi, guys. I have a question for you. Do you know... No, no, I'm asking the questions. Do you know how God created the earth? Was it from a big bang? No. What was it from? Do you know? Because God wanted to create stuff with his hands. 
God created the world so we can swim and drink the water, and then when when we want to go outside, we can go and play outside. Okay, we are going to give you the a short version of the creation story of how God created the earth. Okay. Okay. This is from um, a version of the Bible I don't usually read. I actually had to download the app on my phone last night, but it's quite amusing. Okay. Genesis 1.1. First this, God created the heavens and the earth. All you see, all you don't see. Earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness, an inky blackness. God's spirit brooded like a bird above the watery abyss. God spoke, light, and light appeared. Who wants to hold the light? Shine it at the people. Let them see your light. God saw the light, and it was good, and separated the light from the dark. God named the light day. He named the dark night. It was evening. It was morning. God spoke, sky. Hold that up, Lexi. In the middle of the waters, separate water from the water. God made sky. He separated the water under sky from the water above the sky, and there it was. He named sky the heavens. It was evening. It was morning. God spoke, separate water beneath heaven. Gather into one place. Land, appear. And boom, there it was. God named the land earth. He named the pooled water ocean. God saw that it was good. God spoke, earth, green up. Grow all varieties of seed-bearing plants, every sort of fruit-bearing tree, and there it was. Earth produced green seed-bearing plants, all varieties and fruit-bearing trees of all sorts. God saw that it was good. It was evening, it was morning. God spoke, lights come out, shine in heaven's sky, separate day from night, mark seasons and days and years. Lights in, hold it up high, Caleb. Lights in heaven's sky to give light to earth, and there it was. God made two big lights, the larger to take charge of day, the smaller to be in charge of night, and he made the stars. God placed them in the heavenly sky to light up earth and oversee day and night to separate light and dark. God saw that it was good. It was evening, it was morning. God spoke, swarm, ocean with fish and all sea life. Birds fly through the sky over earth. God created the huge whales, all the swarm of life in the waters, and every kind of species of flying birds. God saw that it was good. God blessed them, prosper, fill oceans, birds reproduce on earth. And it was evening, it was morning. On the fifth day, God spoke, earth, generate life, every sort of kind of... Oh yeah, sorry. Sixth day, and God spoke, Earth, generate life, every sort and kind, cattle and reptiles and wild animals, all kinds, and there it was. Wild animals of every kind, cattle of all kinds, every sort of reptile and bug, God saw that it was good. God spoke, Let us make human beings in our image. Make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, and cattle, and yes, earth itself and every animal that moves on the face of earth. God created human beings. He created them in his image, reflecting God's nature. He created created them male and female. God bless them. Prosper, reproduce, fill the earth. Take charge. Be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. 
Then God said, I have given you every sort of seed-bearing plant on earth and every kind of fruit-bearing tree, given them to you for food. To all animals and all birds, everything that moves and breathes, I give whatever grows out of the ground for food. And there it was. God looked over everything he had made. It was so good, so very good. It was evening, it was morning, and that was the sixth day. Okay, I have a question for you. Do you know how God made the earth? He spoke it. He said, come out, and it came, and it happened. That is how powerful our God is. Okay, after you clean up this mess, you can go back to your seats. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Before we go to Matthew chapter 5, you can turn there a while if you have Bible or your phone. I want to um, read a word to you that Moses spoke to Israel out of Deuteronomy chapter 32. Is called the Song of Moses, and Moses here is repeating to Israel, he's giving them a history lesson. He's reiterating to them the things that he taught them, and the things that God had spoken through him to them, and the things God did for them. And he says this, chapter 32, verse 1, give ear, O heavens, and let me speak. Wait thought he was talking to Israel, but he's crying out that the heavens would hear him and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. Let me ask you, did they? Has the earth heard? Every generation since then has heard. You're listening to him right now. Have the heavens heard? Yes, God wrote them down in heaven. Let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as the droplets on the fresh grass, and as the showers on the herbs. What does rain do when it comes down from heaven? Does it have any effect at all? In chapter... Uh, later on in that same chapter, verse 47. Beginning in verse 45. When Moses had finished speaking all these words to all Israel, he said to them, Take to your heart all the words with which I am warning you today 
which you shall command your sons to observe carefully even all the words of this law. For it is not an idle word. What is an idle word? Have you ever heard that expression? Have you ever said an idle word? What, what, does, what is something doing when it's idling? What's the car doing, the vehicle? It's just sitting there running, right? But it's not taking you anywhere. It's not doing anything for you that you need. It's useless to you. If the car is sitting there and the engine's idling, it's useless. That's what Moses was saying. This is not an useless word to you. For indeed, it is your life. And by this word, you shall prolong your days in your land. It will have an effect on your life, which you are about to cross the Jordan to possess. In Isaiah... Chapter 55, God speaks this word about His words in verse 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, they do return there. But what do they do first? They do not return there without, what do they do? Someone? They water the earth, so shall my words be. So shall, they do not return there, verse 10, without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be, the Lord says just the way it is. You can't change that. I can't either. That's the way it is. A million people could all decide to change the law of gravity by defying it and jump from, you know, the World Trade Center Tower, the new one. What is it called? Freedom Tower or something like that. Or the highest steeples, places of the earth. We're going to change the law of gravity. What would happen? Everyone who jumps will die. Will the law of gravity change? No. Remains. Why? Why can't we change it? Because God said so. Just the way it is. That's the way it is. You can't change it. So shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth. John was saying, right? To the children. How did God create the world? By speaking it. Let there be light. And there was light. It shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire. God speaking. My word will not return to me. It won't echo off the earth and come back to me without accomplishing what I desire to do in you 
and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. It's not an idle word. It has an effect on everyone who listens. Jesus said in John chapter 4, My words are spirit and they are life. My words are spirit and they are life. Wow. My words will do something. They will penetrate through your mind and they're going to have an effect on your inner man, your spirit. It's going to be watered. Now, water has two different effects. Did you know water can actually harden the earth? It can. Water can harden soil. When it's baked with the sun, water makes concrete. But water can take soft soil and it penetrates the soft soil. And so, God's saying, my word will either run off your back, as we say, like your words are not having any more effect on me than water off a duck's back. Have you ever heard that? It means, I don't care. But you know what? The truth is that's never quite true because the duck's back does get wet. And words do enter your mind. You may do with them what you want. And you may harden your heart to not receive them into your heart. But they do have an effect. They will either, either harden your heart so they don't go in or they'll soften it. And things will begin to grow out of your heart that never grew there before. So are Jesus' words. And I've been walking through a time in my life where the Lord is speaking very strongly to me to take more careful heed to His words. If you've never tried this, I encourage you to do it. Take the New Testament, the Gospels, and read, if you have a Bible, where all of what Jesus spoke, as it's recorded, is in red. You have a Bible like that? You ever seen a Bible like that? Go through Matthew and only read the red words. What Jesus actually said. It's very powerful. You ought to try it. You know, sometimes for me, as I read the Gospels, I get hung up with the story. Have you ever done that? The story is quite interesting. The demon comes out of a person. You know, Jesus is speaking in the synagogue and all of a sudden there's a guy in the, in the pew and he starts yelling at Jesus and he says to Jesus, what am I to do with you? You came here to condemn us? And Jesus rebukes him and the, de the demon leaves. And, and I get hung up with that story, don't you? Because it's pretty exciting. Do you remember what Jesus was actually teaching when that happened? How does that affect you? The truth of what he was saying that made the demon cry out. Does anyone know? Maybe you missed it. You should go back and read it. Read what Jesus spoke that made the demon speak. The demon was just reacting to what Jesus was saying. And so, if you come into Matthew and you do that, you'll notice an important thing. 
in Matthew chapter 4, in verse 17, the words of Jesus, the first words of Jesus after Jesus comes out of the wilderness and he begins teaching are these words. Repent. Change it up. That's what he's saying. Change your ways. For the kingdom of heaven is right here. Now what would you do with a preacher, a guy you never met before, and someone gives him the pulpit in the church and he gets up and all he says is, change it up, people. Repent. You need to change how you're living because the kingdom of God is here. Would that sit you back a bit? Hmm? Is it having an effect on you? On your inner man? Like water coming down? On your heart? Wait, who is this guy to command me to change my ways and change my life? The next words he says, verse 19, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Wait, now he's not just telling me I got to change up my life. He's telling me I got to go where he goes. I got to follow him. Is this man crazy or what? This would change my whole life. I got to leave my, my job. I got to leave my, my family. And I got to start just walking with him every day. Where's Jesus? I got to go where he goes. Would you do that? Are you doing that with the words Jesus speaks into your life? Or are they idle words? That engine sounds real good. Purring. Listen to that diesel. You mechanics, you know. I've heard you guys say that. Listen to that engine. Well, that's why a lot of those guys don't like electric cars, right? How many mechanics love it? Electric cars. Because they can't hear it. It's just some kind of electricity going in there. They don't know if it has power or not. But that engine, that's exactly what a lot of Christians do with the words of Jesus. Wow, they're gracious words. That's what these people did. At the end of the sermon that Jesus gave, this was the result. Verse 28 of Matthew chapter 7. The result was that when Jesus had finished these words, the multitude were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their own scribes. They were amazed. But they went home and nothing changed for most of them. It didn't, it wet their backs, maybe. Are you one of those? We'll see what you do with this word. Matthew chapter 5. And he opened, verse 2, and opening his mouth, he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Remember what he had said just before this? Where was the kingdom of heaven? Way up in the sky somewhere? When you die? Where is it? Where is it? You don't know? Huh? It's here. Isn't it what Jesus said? The kingdom of heaven is right here. Right now. Right here. You want to enter into it? 
You want to be a part of the kingdom of heaven? Or is it way out there somewhere in the future for you when you die? See, that's how it was for these people. But Jesus was changing that up. The kingdom of heaven is not when you die. It's right here, right now. You want to follow me? I'll change your life with these words. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We sang those songs, did we? Behold our God. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. How do you do that? There's only certain people who when they look will see God. Jesus said so. The pure in heart. Those whose hearts Open up. They'll see God. Many in this world are looking for God. They never see Him. You will never see Him. If you just glance. No. You have to open your heart. And set your heart. To say. Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. And you open the eyes of your heart. You let your heart wake up. To the kingdom of God that's here right now. And take these words in. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Who's going to enter into the kingdom of heaven? Who gets to own it? persecuted blessed are you when men cast insults at you did you ever see how funny he looks look how funny she walks aren't they a bit weird did you know what they believe <laughs> what a joke you're weird cast insults at you and persecute you they're not satisfied with just talking about you, they're going to do something to you. They're going to rob you, take your money, take your job. They're going to affect your life by doing something about it. About how they feel about you. Persecute you and say all kinds of evil. You know, not only are they weird, they're dangerous. Watch out for them. Those people, they believe in a Jesus and they're out for your money. That's what they want. They want your money. They want your children. They want, they want, and they speak evil falsely. They lie about you to others saying you're evil. Blessed are you 
when they persecute you, say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me, rejoice. Hallelujah! And be glad. That actually means, you know what the Greek word of be glad means? Can someone tell me? It just means be glad. That's right. Just be happy. About what? I made money today. I made some new friends today. What makes you happy? Be glad. For your reward in heaven is great. Where is heaven? Where is the kingdom of heaven? When you die? No, no, no. Jesus said it's right here, right now. Your reward is great right now. Also in the future. But right now. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus just described the most happiest life on earth. Who's signing up? Anyone? Who's going to follow? The only way you and I will follow is if we repent. There's no way you can follow these crazy words. Unless you change up your whole mindset about life. The way you think about it. The way you think about Jesus. The way you think about the kingdom of heaven. You're not going to obey this. You're not going to believe a word of it. Well, you might believe that the peacemakers are happy. Who isn't happy when they make peace? You might believe that the pure in heart will see God. But when Jesus begins to describe what happens to the happy person and it makes him happier, will you be happy? Will you follow him into this happy life? The truth is, if you're not there now, if that's not the Jesus you're following into this happy life, there's only one option for you. Harden your heart and say, let me explain these words to you. It, it, what he really meant to say, and it, you're going to explain it away and never repent. Never change your words, your ways of life, the way you think about when people accuse you falsely. What do you do? Do you argue with them in your mind or do you get happy? Your children know. Your wife and husband, they, they know. They know what makes us happy. You want to follow Jesus? You want to be a Christian, anyone? Christ-like? Verse 13. That's first he describes the happy life. If you want to follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, and you're going to make other people happy as well. You are the salt of the earth, verse 13. But if the salt has become tasteless, how shall it be made salty again? It is good for nothing anymore except to be thrown down out here on the ice. That's the only good that the salt's... If you can't taste the salt, it still has a little bit of worth to it. Traction for others. When they end up on icy roads and slippery surfaces. Is that what you want God to use you for? Others to walk over your life and get some traction for their life? Or do you want to be salty for the Lord? 
salty. You are the salt of the earth. That's who you are. Now Jesus is saying, this is your identity. If you follow me into the happy life, this is who I'll make you. I'll give you an identity of myself. You'll become the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Two things Jesus is going to make from you. Your happy life he's going to take to become effective on people's conscience, on their life. And you're going to allow other people to see the happy life. To see salt and light. Salt flavors people's lives. Light lets them see what's flavoring their life. You get to see the salt. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men light a lamp. We don't go put, you know, turn on the light bulbs and then put a blanket over it, do we? They don't light a lamp and put it under a peck measure, but on a lampstand. It gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light, your happy life, shine before men in such a way that they may see your happy life, your good works, and say, there's a Father in heaven. You know what they're acknowledging? Only one thing. They have a Father in heaven. Do people look at your, does your salt and your light, when Jesus takes you, by the way, there's an interesting principle here. The moment you follow Jesus into this happy life, it's not a self-centered life anymore. There's one purpose for it, and that's to affect other people. Salt is to be sprinkled on other people's lives. And light, he's going to put you up so everyone can see you. He's not going to put you in a church house, in a crowd, hidden away somewhere. He's going to put you somewhere, if you follow him, to where all who are in your neighborhood see your life. Are you okay with that? You want to be like Jesus? He came out of the wilderness, and he just lived in his own little house in Nazareth, did he? What did the Father do with him? He was the light of the world, right? And multitudes seen it. We're still looking at him today. The generations to come will look at your life and examine it. And say they had a father in heaven. Do not think that I came to abolish the law, verse 17, or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but I came to fulfill. Don't cut out the Bible, the scriptures from your life. Don't think Jesus will come and take you, give you a life that is separate from the law of God. Rather, what he came to do, he comes to take this book and fulfill it in your life. You know what the word fulfill means? It means to fill up. So God is going to take his word as water and just simply open up your life and pour it in. That's right. Pour it in right into your mind, into your heart, into your legs, into your hands, into your tongue, into your eyes, your ears. You're going to be filled up and your life will become a living word of God. 
wherever you walk, whatever you do, the word of God will be fulfilled in it. That's the purpose. Jesus did not come to annul the word of God in our personal life. He came to fill, fulfill it in our life. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until it all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls, and you're going to, I want you to remember this, because as we go through this, you're going to see how Jesus is going to do this and how he wants to do it and his purpose to do it in your and my life today, this afternoon. As soon as you get done listening to me and do anything. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and so teaches others shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Are you blocking out God's word in your life? Annulling anything? Oh, that doesn't, doesn't mean, that's not for me today. That was for the book of Acts. Ah, that was for the Israelites. No, that was for, and so you're just, Erasing it from your life. Doesn't mean anything to me today. Well, if you start talking like that, you'll become least in the kingdom of heaven. What that means to me is that the Lord says, I'm not going to use you much. You're going to be least because I can't use you. You're not useful. That's not what I, what I'm redeeming you for is to be light. To be salt, but, well, at least I'll give you some traction for others to walk on. However, Jesus said later, how you treat the least in the kingdom of heaven, I'll take it personally, so you do it to me. So be careful how you judge. For I say to you, verse 20, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is right here, all around you. You're going to get to see it, but not enter in. You won't engage this life. It won't become your lifestyle. Now he goes back into the law. And he says, okay, I just told you, don't annul. I didn't come to annul it. So what am I going to do with it? I'm going to make it personal. And look where he starts. Verse 21. You have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder. Whoever commits murder shall be liable of the court. But I say unto you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. Wow. The court used to judge the act of anger. Now it judges the heart of anger. Before you act out on that anger, you're already judged by the Holy Spirit. Why so? Because Jesus said in Matthew, I mean in Mark chapter 7, he was teaching the scribes and Pharisees and the people, warning the people about their doctrine, their teaching. And he says in verse 7, but in vain do they worship me. And I call this heartless worship. Do you 
worship from your heart or is it heartless worship? You're here. You're doing it. You're being kind. You might be being persecuted even, but your heart's not in it. You're just enduring it because it's what I have to do to please God or it's what my parents tell me to do or what I was taught. Your heart is not in it. Jesus was addressing this. But in vain, that means it doesn't do anything for them. It's profitless. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men, neglecting the commandment of God you hold to the tradition of men. That's what he's talking about. And then he says in verse 14, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing that goes outside of man which going into him can defile him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile him. If anyone has ears to hear, hear. Listen. Are you also lacking in understanding? Verse 18. Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into where? His heart. Food doesn't enter my spirit. Only my stomach. And... My stomach eliminates it. And he was saying, that which proceeds out of the man is that which defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality. That simply means you live by your senses. What are your five senses? What are your five senses? That's right. Seeing, smelling, hearing, touching. Sensuality is a person who is sensual, is one who lives by his common sense. That proceeds out of the heart. And Jesus puts that right in here with wickedness, deceit. Envy, slander, pride, foolishness, thefts, murders, adulterers. Have you ever thought about living by your senses? This is equal to the person who murders someone. You know why? There's only one reason people murder each other. They live by their senses. It will lead you straight to murder. That's what Jesus is addressing. Anger is a sense. It's a feeling, it's an emotion. And so the Lord wants to stop the anger right there in your heart before you act out on it and say this. Whoever shall say to his brother, Raka. Now that word wasn't translated, but it simply means empty head. You empty head, you worthless fellow. Or in our English language, we have a word for it. Someone know what it is? Stupid. You stupid. Have you ever said that? When I was in India many years ago, they have an Indian word in that, in the state I was in, different states have different languages. And we were driving along, and uh, my friend and I, and there was a driver, I don't remember if it was a taxi or somebody was driving us, and this motorcycle comes, and I, in this big city in India, there were, I mean, the streets are full of people walking, and motorcycles, and scooters, and rickshaws, and cars, and 
and they're honking the horn, and, and it's just everybody's doing everything on the street. The street is everybody's, and this motorcycle just cuts us off and hits the guy, literally hits us on the front of the, of the, of the vehicle we were driving, and, and he just keeps on going. You know, he almost spilled, and I could still see it in my head, and I just started laughing, and our driver just muttered this, something in Indian, and I said, what did he say? And the guy with us was like, well, we have a slogan in our native language here. It's called, worthless fella, you worthless fella. Stupid. You say that when you drive. What if you think it? She'll be guilty before the Supreme Court. Who's the Supreme Court that'll judge thoughts and words? The Supreme Court in heaven. And whoever shall say, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into fiery hell. Wow. Do you believe that? You call people a fool, you'll be guilty enough to take you to hell. Now you heard, it was told you don't murder. But I say unto you, I'm going to take that word murder and it I'm going to fulfill it in your life. I'm going to fill up your life to the point where you won't even get close to murder because I'm dealing with anger in your heart. And you'll now recognize anger as something you must repent from immediately and confess it before the Lord and gain control over your spirit or you'll be like the proverb that says, he that is, has no control over his spirit is like a city with broken down walls. You know what a city without walls was back in their day? Had no protection. And the raiders could come through any time. Their sheep, their animals, their people could be raided and robbed and stolen. Had no protection. You'll be like a person with no spiritual protection. So Jesus was addressing it. You'll find this word, by the way, if you go back to Deuteronomy. 23, you'll read how the Lord gave them the law of not committing murder. But now Jesus is saying, I'm going to deal with anger. You follow me? I'm not going to talk about murder. I'm going to talk about your anger. And I'm going to help you repent from it long before it becomes murder. Because that anger will take you to hell. If Therefore, you are presenting your offering at the altar. If therefore you are coming to church and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar. Go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come present your offering. If you are praying, Jesus said in another place, if you are praying, forgive. Forgive. Why is it so important to forgive? Because later in Matthew 18, Jesus said, If you do not forgive men's trespasses against you from your heart, not say it, from your heart, your heavenly Father will also not forgive your trespasses. And what use is it to stand praying to a God who hasn't forgiven you? Will your prayers do any good? No. This is real. Has this ever happened to you? Has to me. I've been seated right here. And the Lord singing on a Sunday morning. Jason leading us in a, 
in a song of praise. And the Holy Spirit says to me, remember something you said a couple years ago? And it hurt somebody. And you know he's still sore about it. You should go. And I just got up. I said, yes, Lord. And I walked back here and I got my phone and I texted him. Please forgive me. I'm deeply sorry for what I said. And I'll tell you something happened to me that would never have happened. You know what happened to me? Does anyone want to guess? I was happy. That's what happened to me. I was glad the Lord had taken the fulfillment of this law, of this word, and he just poured it into my soul. And I came out here, man, I don't know if you guys who were here even noticed, but I was, I was happy. You thought I was happy this morning. You just seen me then. I was ready to dance with David. I was so full of joy. Have you ever done that? Are you missing it? Not following Jesus this way. Leave your offering and go be made happy. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law. While you're in the, on the way with him, in order that your opponent may not deliver you to the judge and the judge to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Truly, I say to you, you shall not come out of there until you paid the last cent. You want to go to court? You'll go to court. And you'll lose, Jesus is saying. You'll lose in your heart. You'll be the loser. You might win the court case. But what about your heart? Will you win or lose there? You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already. Where? In your heart. That's why pornography is no Little sin. It's adultery. And we live in a world where it's on our phones. It's on the internet. It's everywhere. It's available to you at a push of a button. In fact, it assaults us. How many emails do you have to delete? That if you would click on, it would lead you into pornography. All the time, right? It's not like you have to go looking for it. It's looking for you. It's setting itself array in front of you because the devil knows the hook. And oh my, while the church is trying to deal with adultery in its act, many in the church, even the leaders, find themselves like the Pharisees who came to stone that woman in front of Jesus. And what did they do? They all walked away because Jesus said, whoever is without sin, this sin in your heart, you cast the first stone. Oh, we're quick to judge the outward act while we're slaves in our hearts of that act. Jesus is dealing with the heart. You want to follow him yet? Anybody want to sign up for this happy life? And if your right eye makes you stumble, verse 29, tear it out and throw it from you. Have you ever seen a guy tear out his eye? I have. Not literally. He didn't do it. The doctor did it for him. 
I used to have a young man working for me who had a glass eye. I didn't know it for a long time, except I noticed this one eye always stayed the same. And if he looked at you, only this eye moved, one of them. I don't remember left or right. Only the one eye moved as he looked at things. And I finally asked him one time, I said, what's with your eye? He said, oh, I'm blind in my one eye. I have a glass eye. So whatever happened? He said, well, one day when I was young, I was on a, on a carpenter crew with my father, and I had a nail gun, and I went to nail something, and the nail landed up, ricocheted, and went into my eye. The nail in his eye. Now, why didn't he just leave it there? Pull out the nail and forget it. What's the problem with leaving a nail in your eye? Is there a problem with that? Hmm? What's the problem? That would be bad, but he couldn't blink anyhow because the glass eye wouldn't blink. The glass eye, I mean, he couldn't see with a nail in his eye, right? No, he couldn't, but he can't see with the glass eye either. So what, what more problems does the nail cause? Any more? Infection. Well, so what about infection? Where will that lead you? Well, I'm sure it hurt. You're right. But eventually the pain would probably go away. You wouldn't notice the nails there because you can't see it. Infection. You know what would happen? He would not be alive today. It would have killed him. He wouldn't have taken that nail out of his eye. Let the doctor do it and be okay with the glass eye. That's how sin is. That's what Jesus is talking about. If you don't take sin out of your eyes, it will kill you. It's better to have only one eye than to keep two eyes and go where? Your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand makes you stumble, how many of you would be Daring enough. It's one thing for to get a nail in the eye and let the doctor take it out, but would you cut off your own arm? Yes, you would. No, nobody would want to, but if you'd be like my great uncle Steve, you would. My great uncle Steve, many years ago, was harvesting corn at night out in his cornfield. He was all alone on the harvester, and the harvester clogged up. And back in those days, I don't know how they make the harvesters nowadays. John might be able to tell you he puts equipment together. But, but you know, the, the, the corn would come into the harvester and there were these rollers. And it, it would carry the, the corn up and then it would take it in and there were the blades that would chop it as it would carry it up into the stalks. It would just chop it all up. Well, it got clogged up on him. And so he jumps off the tractor and he goes back there to the harvester and He's trying to unclog it. And in the middle of doing that, his coat gets caught in these rollers. And he grabs his coat, and he's pulling him in, and grabs his arm, and he's pulling him, and these rollers are very tight. And he can't get out, and the machine is running, and there's no one else around. And he finally braces himself up like this, and he's trying to pull himself out, but it's sucking him in, little by little by little. And he's screaming for help. And finally he realizes, 
I can't hold on. What was going to happen to him? Anyone want to guess? His whole body was going to get chopped up in that harvester. And he knew it. You know what he does? The Lord saved his life with a pocket knife. And he gets out his pocket knife and he's holding on. And he cuts off his arm with his pocket knife. And he saves his life. And somehow he gets help. I don't remember how the story, but to this day, he has an artificial arm with a little hook. And he'll tell you his story. He's alive. That happened when I was just a kid, so probably 40 years ago. And he's lived a happy life. He has great-grandchildren to this day. Just met him not too many years ago. Still has that hook on his arm, and he tells kids his story, and he tries to get kids his nose with his hook. Oh, you would too if you see sin this seriously in your life. When your right arm leads you to sin, or your hands reach you to sin, and you see that that sin will actually kill my soul, you'll cut it off. Just like he did. It's better that you go into life with one arm than your whole body go into hell. And it was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Again, you can read this in Deuteronomy chapter 24, how the Lord gave them this. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except for the cause of unchastity makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but you shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. Why do you think Jesus put the two together? What makes a marriage? Take a vow. Exactly. Before who? Before God. That's what makes a marriage. It's better you not get married or make a vow. And you make a vow. And you can't keep it. And Jesus said in Mark chapter 10. There was a reason Moses gave them. The bill of divorce. Does anyone know that reason? Hardness of their heart. Was not so from the beginning. God did not make two females for Adam. Only one. But because they hardened their heart. And so in the church of Jesus Christ today, disciples of Jesus who are listening to his word, why do you think that not many more people are actually living it? That it's not being fulfilled in their life, this whole book? What's your guess? Because more than half of them are divorced and remarried. And many of the children, the young people, are from broken homes. Hardness of heart. And Jesus is addressing our hearts. This is not an idle word for you and me. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Boy, it would be nice if I could. Because people say I look old, but I'm not old. It's just my hair that are old. But let your statement be yes, yes, and, or no, no. And anything beyond that is of evil. James chapter 4 verse 17 says, 
Don't swear at all, brothers and sisters. Because your swearing doesn't change a thing. You can't swear to anyone about anything because you have no power over the future. The next moment is not yours. It's God's. And it's in that context, James chapter 4, where he says, don't say, we're going to go to that city tomorrow and make so much money, or we're going to go over to that town. But say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. That's what you call, blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. Not the aggressors. The meek actually inherit the earth. Do you believe that? Then you won't swear. By anything. Because you realize it won't get you anything. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist him who is evil. Wait, what? What are you saying, Jesus? Do not resist him who is evil, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. You see any Christians like that today? Like, actually do that. Act it out. Do you? Or was Jesus just giving a suggestion? Like, hey, you could do this if you wanted to. But I say to you, do not resist him who is evil. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, don't take your coat off real quick. Give him your coat too. And whoever shall force you to go one mile, go with him too. You know, there was a rule back in those days in Israel that the Roman soldiers, any Roman soldier in the land of Palestine could grab any kid or anybody he wanted to. And maybe you were walking down the road and you were in the marketplace and you had just got some, you know, fresh vegetables and meat and you were walking this way home and a Roman soldier is walking this way and he could say, hey, you, stop, here. And he could put his backpack on your shoulder, go with me for a whole mile, carry this for a whole mile. Do you think the Jews like that? How do you think that felt to them? Injustice. This is wrong. Right? What right do you? I'm not your slave. Can you imagine all the emotions? Was Jesus changing anyone's life here? Oh, yes, he was. Can you imagine if every Jew who heard these words, and there were a multitude of these people, would act out this one word to every Roman soldier everywhere in Palestine, do you not think it would cause those Roman soldiers to start scratching their heads and going, what is going on here? I think it would cause their hearts to tremble. I think it would. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Again, you'll read this in Deuteronomy chapter 23 where Jesus said, where Moses told them, you need to go and fight them and especially the Ammonites and the Moabites because they wouldn't give them water and food when Israel was coming through uh, the land there. They refused to give them, let them go through. God said, to the 10th generation, don't have anything to do with those people. Don't take anything from them. They're your enemies. Boy, that sounds like 
pretty good revenge and justice, doesn't it? Jesus was referring to that. And he said, someone's your enemy. Don't hate them. Love them. I say to you, love your enemy. How do you love someone? This is how. Pray for them who persecute you. In order that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Remember what Jesus said men are going to see, say about you when you live this kind of a life? What are you going to be? Lights in the world. Salt on their life. Changing their life like every Roman soldier. All of a sudden, their life is changed. These guys are like volunteering. And they'll say, these people have a Father in heaven. They're their father's sons who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax gatherers do the same? And if you greet your brothers only, what do you more than others? Do not even the Gentiles or the sinners do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And in Luke chapter 6, he describes what that perfect word means. He uses the word merciful. Therefore, you are to be merciful like your heavenly Father is merciful. Sons and daughters of the kingdom of heaven, now it's right here in you, living itself out, all of these truths. In my life, boy, that's going to light up this world with a light they know nothing about. They've never seen anything so crazy and radical, right? Until they meet a Christian whose heart is not hard. But he receives these words into his heart. And as Jesus said at the end, he acts upon it. He who hears these words... And acts upon it. Not an idle word. Takes you into the kingdom of heaven like this. It's a wise person. His life will be built on a rock. And no persecution can conquer you. Why not? It'll make you happy. That's why. No injustice can overcome you. Why not? Because you have a father in heaven. And Romans chapter 12 says, don't take vengeance because vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So love your neighbor, feed him, give him water, meet his needs, pray for him, bless him. When they rail against you, bless them. Overcome evil with good. And that is what Romans chapter 8 says. For through Jesus Christ, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm going to continue on because, boy, it just keeps on going. If you thought this one was deep, keep on reading. Anybody ready for repentance to enter the kingdom of heaven? I am. And I find in my heart, I have to deal with this daily. I feel anger, don't you? This week, watching the news, I got angry. 
I felt it was unjust what's happening to our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. And as I watched on the news, those Christians coming out in the middle of the street praying, I was ready to board a flight and go over there and pray with them. You know, let's just all go over there and surround the place and they don't have to kill us all if he wants Ukraine. I want justice, don't you? I had to repent. Because the Lord said to me, are you a Christian or not? You see, Jesus came in the middle of people who lived in this kind of regime and politics. And this was the life he lived. And he's inviting you and me, come, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. God bless you. Amen. Thank you, Phil, for bringing us the word this morning. And thanks to each one of you for coming and joining us in worship and in hearing from God. I hope you were blessed this morning. And our prayer is that these words, this time focusing on hearing from God, will impact your life this week, all of our lives, and in our time going forward, we'll have a meal served here shortly, so uh, please stay for that time of fellowship as well. That'll bring us to the conclusion of this part of our service, so if you're able to, please stand, and we'll uh, have a closing prayer and a blessing on the meal. Christopher, would you mind leading us in a prayer, please? Blessing on the meal. Thank you. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this day together and we rejoice in it. Help us to rejoice throughout the day. And thank you um, for the reminders um, because we are your children and we want to follow you. Just like you say, be imitators of you as dear children, be followers of you. And um, that's the heart. That's the the so much substance, um, those, those chapters the Sermon on the Mount, that we'll spend all of our life um, perfecting these things. So we ask you for your grace um, to be to continue upon us that we could um, more and more be conformed unto your image and your likeness. And we thank you for each one of each brother and sister here, how precious they are to us. And um, we ask for your blessing upon the rest of the day. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you. And you are dismissed. <laughs>